Don't you love it when we get led in worship? I do. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for the time you put in, for the, the soul-searching you do, for the striving you do to come in each week and lead us in worship. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're still in the book of Jude. This week, Jude 11, 12, and 13 are the verses. A few years ago, I went to an Italian restaurant with some friends, and we were all looking at the menu trying to decide what we wanted to order. And I kind of went to my basic order, which would be lasagna and bread and a salad. The dressing's not creamy, but oily. If you go to an Italian restaurant, that's what you eat. Other people were sitting there thinking, you know what, I think I'll have this. Well, one friend ordered a cannoli. Now, cannoli is a piece of bread that's hollow and there's stuff in the middle. And everybody else, after he ordered the cannoli, were like, man, I wish I had ordered the cannoli. And when they brought it out, it was huge. So now we're all sitting there thinking, why didn't I order the cannoli? It was amazing looking. And then we said the blessing and we all started to dig in. And when we started to dig in, the friend, the friend stuck his fork into the cannoli and it went, I think that they took one pepperoni and one slice of Kraft American cheese and stuck it in a piece of bread. I was so glad I didn't order the cannoli because my lasagna was amazing. And he sat there the whole time wishing he had lasagna. Why don't I tell you that story? Because that's exactly what false teachers do. They show you a picture of something that looks amazing. They make promises that are out of this world. And when they put it in front of you, especially in moments of desperation, you're like, I got to have it. Let me grab it. And until you stick a fork in it and it goes flat and your life is empty, you think you've made a good choice. But ultimately, it leads you to disappointment. That's what Jude's writing about. Jude has sat down and he told us, hey, I'm Jude, and I'm the brother of James. I'm a bondservant of Christ, and I'm talking to you, beloved, to those who are called, those who are sanctified. Now listen, anytime you see those words, to those who are called, those who are sanctified, he is writing a letter to the church. He's writing a letter to those people who have identified themselves as children of God, as redeemed people. And he says, not only am I writing to you sanctified, set apart brothers and sisters in Christ, my family in God. He said, I want to throw something on you. He said, I want you to have mercy and I want you to have peace. And I want you to have love, but not just have it. I want it to be multiplied to you. I want it to be heaped on you. I want you to have so much that you've got some to give away and you're overwhelmed by how much you have. And he starts talking and he says, I want to write to you. He says, I want to write to you about that, that wonderful gospel. I want to write to you about that, that you were a sinner wandering in life and Jesus went to the cross and Jesus died on that cross and Jesus shed his blood and Jesus was buried in a tomb and Jesus rose again on the third day and after some time on earth after that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and when he ascended to the right hand of the Father on the day of Pentecost he sent the Holy Spirit to come inside of you. He said, I want to write to you about all the things that feel good. He said, but in that moment that I started to write, about all those things that felt good, I was compelled. I was forced. I could do nothing else but change my direction. 
He says, I was compelled by the Holy Spirit to write to you about the fact that in your presence, in the presence of the world, there are people who are going to name the name of God. There are people who are going to stand up as if they have the authority of God. And they're going to start talking to you and they're going to look like a big fat cannoli and it's going to sound really awesome. And until your life hits a bad moment and you have to stick a fork in it and it goes flat and leaves you empty. He said, that's what's going to happen. He said, in fact, it's already happening and it's going on in your presence right now. And then in verse 11, he says, woe to them. Now that word woe is a word of judgment. If you went into the book of Revelation, you would find it many times. It would say, woe to you, and woe to you, and woe to you. In fact, if you went to Matthew chapter 23, you would find seven times that Jesus looked at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. It would come across as a word of anger because it is a word of judgment. But it's not a word of anger. It's a word of sorrow. It's a word of grief. Woe to you, Uh uh-oh, look what's happening to you. Don't be deceived because if you get deceived, woe to you because you will fall into judgment. And if you fall into judgment, you will experience the wrath and the righteousness of God. So he's writing to these people. He says, woe to you. Don't fall into the trap. Don't fall into something. Woe to them for they have gone. And let's just read it, 11, 12, and 13. He says, woe to them. Woe to them that begin to do these things because they have fallen, gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, laid autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, Pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, and wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, interestingly, in those verses that I just read to you, what Jude has done, he issues a word of warning, woe, grief, sorrow, don't go this direction because it will trap you. And then he gives us three examples of apostasy from the Old Testament. He gives us Cain, he gives us Balaam. And then he gave us that third one that has left my mind right now. Um, Korah. He said, there's three examples here. Cain, Balaam, Korah. He says, don't go that way. They were apostates. Don't listen to them. And then he gives us five examples from nature that are the results of apostasy. So this morning, what I want us to hear is the word of woe, that God is issuing a call to you to listen to him. God is issuing a word of grief and a word of sorrow that says, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to be pulled away. I want you to be drawn to truth. He says, I do want you to be set apart. Judgment, not anger. Truth that will set us free. So the first thing that I want to do this morning is I want us to look at the first example that comes out of the Old Testament. The first one he says in verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Now, what is the way of Cain? You know that Cain is the son of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had two children or two sons. One was named Cable. The other was named Abel. There you go. Excellent. The other one was named Abel. And they had a moment 
where God was calling them to a place of worship. And when that moment where God was calling them into a place of worship, they both brought what to God? A sacrifice, an offering, exactly. They brought it to God. Now, one of them was what to God? Acceptable to God. And the other one was unacceptable to God. And I will tell you, that's something that in studying Scripture, I've always wondered is, it says that both of them brought something. It looked pretty nice to me. Why would God look at one and say, what you brought was good, but what the other one brought is not? And I'd like for us to take just a moment to try to understand that. Right off in the side of your outline, Genesis chapter 4. You can go read the story later. But it tells us that Abel, the secondborn son of God, um, he was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer. Cain tended the soil, he tilled the soil. And there came a time for them to bring this offering to God. And when they did it, it says that from his flock that Abel brought the first fruit, his unblemished lamb. It was slaughtered. It says that Cain brought to God fruit that he had raised. So why would God say one is good and one is not? The way of Cain, why is that a bad way? Well, if you remember back in original sin, when it took place, it says that Adam, before the sin, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. That meant that they were living pure before God. There was not immorality, there was not lust, there was not this and there was not that. So to be unclothed just simply meant that you were right before God. You were in perfect harmony. But at that moment of sin, when it took place, it says that they were naked and ashamed, right? We know that. So in that moment that they sinned, well, what did God do for them? It says that God came and covered them with the skins of animals. Now think about this, if there are going to be animals that cover them, there had to be the death of an animal. If the animal was skinned, there would be the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22 in the New Testament, if we look forward, helps us to understand that where it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So they had seen the sacrifice that covered the sin of the mom and the dad. Cain and Abel had done this. Abel, who was the the shepherd, he followed God's plan. Cain, who was the farmer, said, you know what? I don't want to do it God's way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring my fruit. I'm going to put it before God. And God says, that is not what I want. God says, I want for the forgiveness of sin. I want there to be a shedding of blood. You say, well, why is that? I don't know, but he is God. And because He is God, we have to submit to Him. And that word is a terrible word in today's society. Submit, submission, surrender. To come under the authority of. But you remember, He is holy God. He is righteous God. He is the God by which all things consist. And He is the one who did for you that which you could not do for yourself. And we all love to talk about God's forgiveness. But we must stand on God's holiness because through His holiness, He is able to offer forgiveness. And through His holiness, He is able to redeem us. And when we look and see, even in back in the book of Genesis, when there was the covering with the skins and the shedding of blood, and we see all through the Old Testament that there were sacrifices that had to be made through the sacrificing of animals, we see that as a prediction 
and a projection of what Jesus was going to do on the cross of Calvary. And so Abel walks up and he says, I'll do it God's way. I'm going to bring the offering that is the shedding of blood. I'm going to present it to him. Cain comes in and says, I'm going to do it my way. And when God looked at the offerings, he looked at Abel and said, well done. Hebrews 12, 4, it says, by this he gained a testimony and it was counted to him as righteous. It says that Abel's was rejected. Now we know what happened. When Abel's, I'm sorry, when Cain's sacrifice was rejected, he became angry. He became so angry, what did he do? He killed his brother. You see, when we step into sin, we open the door for rebellion. Rebellion, we like to say we can control it, but can I tell you, you cannot. Because it will grab you, it will lead you, it will guide you. You've heard people say it. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cause you to do things you thought you'd never do in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, today we need to submit ourselves to the holiness of God. Because if we don't, we will go the way of Cain. Cain came and said, by my works, I should be accepted. And God said, no, it is by blood that you are accepted. Now listen to me. There's a movement among churches today that says we should not call sin, sin. We should not offend people. That we should not do this and we shouldn't talk about the blood of Christ because the blood of Christ is offensive. Well, let me tell you, without the blood of Christ, there is no forgiveness. There is no redemption. There is no eternal life. And if God calls something sin, we as the church need to stand up and say that, yes, that is sin. Now, do we need to love people where they are? Absolutely we do. But we need to love them enough that we tell them the truth about the blood of Christ and the cost of sin. It says that these false teachers, they will go the way of Cain. They will come to you and say, oh, just be good. Your sin's not that offensive or your way's not that bad. You just come to church. You just do this. You do that thing and it all is about what you do, not what Christ did. The way of Cain is figuring out a way to get to God other than the blood of Christ. And Jude, who loves us enough to tell us the truth, says to us, don't go that way. So there are two reasons that I think that the sacrifice of Cain was rejected. And I've told them to you, but I want you to fill in your blank. The first one is, it was not a blood sacrifice. Okay? It was not a blood sacrifice. And God says, that is how there's the forgiveness of sin. The second reason that I believe that it was rejected, I based it on Hebrews 11.4, which I quoted to you a moment ago. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. Cain wanted to do it his way. He wanted to come through self-righteousness. He wanted to come through works. So he says, be careful, apostates will lead you by the way of Cain. The second thing, or second example he gives us, he says that is the way of Balaam. They will come, they will run greedily after the era of Balaam. What was the era of Balaam? The era of Balaam was greed. Instead of a man called by God, he was a, God, he was a man who wanted to follow the God of money. 
I told you a little bit about the story last week, remember? King Moab finds out that the people of Israel are going to come through his land. So he approaches the prophet Balaam and he says, Hey, Balaam, I would like for you to curse these people. And Balaam, because he's a man of God, he goes before God and he says, Hey, God, for a little extra cash, do you care if I curse the people of Israel? And God says, What I have blessed, you cannot curse. And so he begins to scheme, he begins to manipulate, he begins to think of other ways that if he can't curse them, what will he do? So what he does is he sets a trap. And he goes to the Moabites and he says, hey Moabites, this is what I want you to do. When they come through here, I want you to dress a little raunchy, I want you to act a little sexy, I want you to do this and I want you to do that and I want you to get them to follow you. And guess what? It worked. And Balaam, you know the rest of the story. He's running from God. All this is happening. And ultimately, he gets to the place of repentance when his donkey, through God, through his donkey, talks to him. The era of Balaam is watch out for manipulation. Watch out for tricking God's people. Watch out for presenting false truth. Watch out, watch out for greediness. He says, church, that's what these people are going to do. You say, is that really the truth? Yes, it is. Let me tell you, when somebody stands up and says, you give and you'll be healed, they are not worried about your healing. They're worried about their profit. And you need to hear that. and You need to stand against it. And when you say you're going to be a follower of someone, find out what that someone really believes. Find out what they're teaching. Just because you put it into Google and it pops up doesn't mean it's right. And you have a responsibility as a child of God, as a follower of Christ, to seek out and to search what is true. I see people over and over and over again. We take our lives and we begin to justify them. And the more we try to justify them, we look in, on the internet and we find somebody that agrees with us. And you know what? Two makes a quorum. No, it doesn't. God makes a quorum. God says, I am truth. And so he's saying to these people, to the believers, to us, he says, be careful of the way of Cain. Don't follow the era of Balaam. And then he says, watch out for us. Watch out to us. He says, don't go after Korah. Because they perished. Now remember, that's Numbers 16. Numbers chapter 16 is the story of a man named Korah who was um, headed in the right direction. But one day, Satan got in his head. And when Satan got into his head, he planted the thought, why is Moses getting all the attention? I know you. I follow you. I could stand up and teach a lesson. I could do this. I could do that. So why is Moses getting it? In fact, he stood up and he caused a scene about it. And after he caused a scene about it, Moses said, Well, I tell you what, I'll challenge you to a duel. Let's do this on this day and this time. And if I am not the prophet of God, one thing will happen. And if I am a prophet of God, another thing will happen. And Korah, who was led away to this idea, agreed to it. And ultimately what happened is God did not forsake Moses. He had called him. When God did not forsake Moses and he called him, 
Ultimately, what happened was that Korah and 250 other people perished with him. You say, be careful. Why would you want to be careful? Because everybody in this room is a leader because leadership is defined as influence. Every one of you influenced somebody. If you in your life are living in rebellion to God, in rebellion to the authority He put over you, then you could possibly lead somebody to the way of Korah. They could perish. doesn't mean we don't stand. It doesn't mean that we don't have an opinion about right and we seek to bring about change. But we know that God has placed certain authorities over us and we want to be under those authorities. And listen to me, as a child of God, if you put yourself in submission to God and under the authorities that He's placed over you, He obligates Himself to look after you. You can trust God. You can follow God. You can believe in Him. He says, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I know the plans I have for you. And He says, and I will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. So if you, in submission to an authority that God has placed over you, puts you in a valley, puts you in a test, puts you in a storm, puts you in a trial, you can say, God, I'm here because I'm obeying you. And you have told me that you will meet all of my needs. God, I'm trusting you today. He says, so be very careful in how you live because as you live this life, the way of Cain is a departure from the truth of salvation. And the way of Balaam is a departure from the doctrine of sanctification to be set apart. And the way of Korah is a departure from submission according to the word of God. So he gives us three examples. He says, these are examples. Don't follow them. These are people that will lead and did lead people astray. And then he does something really amazing. He shifts from people in the Old Testament to nature. Remember in Romans chapter 1 where it says, what if they don't hear about God? What if they don't hear about the gospel? What if they don't hear about salvation? And Romans chapter 1 says this, that everything you need to know about God can be found in nature that even if we won't cry out that the rocks will cry out that God can be seen through his creation he can be known and Jude who is a bondservant of Christ begins to write and he says this in verse 12 here's the first of the examples he says these are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear serving only themselves those spots represent division those spots represent separation, singling us out, cutting us out of the herd, if you will. And you say, well, what does that mean? What is a spot and how is a spot nature? Well, I'll tell you, in the Greek language, that is better understood as a rock bed or a coral reef. It's a coral reef just under the surface. And the song of the sirens starts singing and it draws you in with beautiful music. And you go, that doesn't sound so bad. You mean if I do this, I'll have blessing? And it becomes attractive to us and it plays on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we set sail for the spot, the coral reef, that which is just under. And when we get there, it grabs us, it traps us, it keeps us. An apostate can cause great division inside the body of Christ in the fellowship of the church. We must be on the watch for people that call us to separate from God's organization. 
God created two institutions. The first was marriage. The second was the church. And of the church, he said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. He says, watch out. Because if you follow the way of apostasy, you will sail up on a reef that will tear you apart. But then notice what he says. There are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water. I grew up in a farming community. Dawson, Georgia is the um, Spanish peanut capital of the world. Um, I don't know what that means, but there's a big sign when you ride in that tells you that. But I know this, everything in Dawson, in Dawson, Georgia would rise and fall on the crop. And everything about the crop would rise and fall on the amount of rain at the right time. And one year the drought was bad. It was so bad that a group of men assembled together in the National Guard Armory because it was the only place big enough. And they called in a company who would fly up into the clouds. And they would release ammonium nitrate it would cause seeding the clouds it would was supposed to if it worked it was supposed to cause it to rain somewhere and everybody was in the room and they were talking about rain and they were talking about this and one day it was the perfect day there were clouds building and everybody had great anticipation because the planes were going to take off and they took off and you could see them going into the distance and as they were headed into the distance you were just thinking, man, it's going to rain. Man, it's going to rain. It's supposed to rain in 72 hours after they do this. It did not rain. There were clouds, but no water. He says false teaching, the teaching of the apostates, are just like that. They stand up. They rant. They rave. They look good. They, they bring emotion and they um, engineer excitement. But when you place your life into their teaching, you will be dry. He says it's like a coral reef that will destroy your boat. He says it's like a cloud that does not drop water. And then he says that it's like a tree without fruit. He's talking about the destitution of the teaching of the apostates. He says they are just like... An old dead tree. It's withered up. You're expecting it to bear fruit, but it doesn't. In our backyard, we have this amazing fig tree. And every year you think, this is the year. This is the time. This is the moment we're going to have figs. And it comes out, it begins to bud, and the buds become big green leaves, and they're everywhere. And then all of a sudden you walk out there one day and you think, I think that's the making of a baby fig. And so you run back in the house and say, it's going to happen. And you go out day after day after day after day, and there is never a fig. Gail got one fig off that tree this year. That tree is fixing to bite the dust. Because it does not bear fruit. He said the teaching of the apostate will only bear fruit for them. It says it will enrich their life. It will enrich their ministry. It will enrich their pocketbook. But you will be left by the wayside when you can no longer participate. There's a church in this community that if you want to be a part of that church, you have to take your W-2 in. You have to take your W-2 in and they want to know 
what you make, and if at the end of the year what you make or what you give is not 10% of what that W-2 says, you are no longer a member in good standing. And if you have a need in your life, they will check to see where you are. And if you're not where you're supposed to be, they will send you to Mount Zion Baptist Church for help. <laughs> so when they tell us where they're from, we already know they don't tithe, so we say, Look, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. That's not true. That is not true. That is not true. But hear me. It makes bold promises. Empty application. That's what false teaching does. What does he go on and say? He says it's like a, a coral reef. It's like a cloud without water. It's like a tree without fruit. It's like raging waves of the sea. Have you, on one of your trips to the beach... Have you ever walked along the beach and seen the foam that builds up on the, on the beach, on the bank? Is it ever pretty, pristine, and just spotless? No, it is the junk of the sea. The water can be blue and the foam on the waves can be very beautiful. But the foam on the beach is junky, murky, ugly. And he says that's what happens in apostate teaching. He said that as they began to teach, it says that we're to be set apart. We're to be different from the world. We're not to buy into the teaching of be as close to the world system as you can be. But he wants us to understand we're the blood-bought body of Christ. And so in followers of Jesus Christ, we do not need to see how close to the world system we can live. Like, am I on the edge and not falling? No. He says, as the body of Christ, we need to be in as close to the center of the will of God as we can be. And we need to say, God, what is your perfect will? I can tell you in my life, when there have been those moments when I would say, God, how close to the edge can I get? And I've got this. I'm stronger. I can make it. And I won't fall and nothing will happen. And then all of a sudden, I fall off. And you say, how did you get there? You got there because you cracked the door to apostate teaching that said you can do what you want to do and you can be your own God and you are the champion of your own destiny. And at that moment that you think that you know better than God, he says apostate teaching will grab you, slam you, and throw you on the ground in such a way that you don't understand it. He says it will bring up the dirty phone. Oh, that God would reveal to us. Lord, reveal to us the dirty phone. God, reveal to us the things that we're holding on to because we have the right to do it. Paul did say, what did we say this morning? All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. Oh, you can do it. God gives you free choice. But it comes at a cost. And you say, well, I've been doing this a long time, and I think I'm okay. 
Have you ever turned around to look and see if the people you influenced are okay? Uh Uh-oh. Have you ever turned around to look and see that uh, is there a trail of people that you've hurt, destroyed, led astray? Whose lives have fallen apart? When I was 15 years old, I had a friend. His name was Keith Giles. Keith did not want to be someone who... um, consumed alcohol but he had a group of friends that made fun of him a group of friends that could control it it was senior night at Six Flags if you're old enough you know what I'm talking about and that group of friends challenged Keith oh you're a man oh you're do this da 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 and finally he couldn't take it anymore And he said, I'm going to do it. Well, his brother let him drive home from Atlanta to Dawson. He went around the curve on the wrong side of the road. He had a car head on. He lost his life. But not only did he lose his life, his brother's girlfriend lost her life. You say, well, he was dumb. Was he? Or maybe was it all those people that just kept saying, oh, do it. You can handle it. Do it. Do it. Do it. You see, because all of us have to look back. And all of us are okay. But as we look back in our wake, that's what we see. I'm not scathed. No, but his family is ruined. So, is it permissible? Yes. God said so. You can walk out of here going, I got this. But is it profitable? Because who did you take down? And then he says, not only are we like the raging waves of the sea, he says we're like wandering stars. Did you know in the scripture, boys and girls, that it says that God knows every star by name? That he actually hung it in place? In just a couple of weeks, a few weeks, we're all going to get to decorate our Christmas trees. And you know how you do. You reach into the box with expectation and excitement. And you, you grab that ornament and you hang it on the tree. And after you've hung a few, what do you do? You back up and you look to see if the tree is balanced. Well, the scripture says that God decorated the heavens with the stars. And not only did he decorate the heavens with the stars, but he named them. But just recently, we had a meteor shower. And if you were outside at the right time, you would see one of those stars come zipping by. And eventually it would burn out. He says that's the direction of an apostate. They don't have staying power. They get what they need, and then when they've gotten all they want and they've hurt everybody they can, he says their ministry burns out. Can I tell you, the gauge of a ministry is not what happens while you're present, but what happens after you're gone. Did you pour into people? Did you raise up young men, young women, boys, girls? Did you raise up people who now have the foundation to walk with God on their own? Or when you're not around, did they fall apart? 
He says apostates come in, they flash bright, they leave, and nobody is able to stand. It's false teaching. So what do we want to do? First of all, we don't want to be apostates who teach apostasy, and apostasy is anything that deviates from the truth of God. We don't want to teach apostasy. We don't want to be a burning star. We don't want to be dirty foam. We don't want to be trees that do not bear fruit. We don't want to be the coral reef that makes promises to draw people in, and then, but we destroy them. No, we want to be men and women of God with, with hearts for God and hearts for people that love God and love people, and we lead them from chaos to calm. From chaos to comfort. The peace of God that passes understanding. I would rather us, as a body of Christ, come in here and be real and say, it's falling apart today, than to walk in here and act like everything's okay and make somebody leave thinking, well, what's wrong with me? Because all of them have it together. And Jude is talking to us. He said, beloved, sanctified, set-apart people. There are those who are appointed to deceive you. And if you're not in the Word, and if you don't know the Word, your ears will get tickled, and you will buy into something that is not true. Those wandering stars, and I'm done. Contrast that to Christ. The scripture says that he is the bright and morning star that burns eternal. He does not fade. He does not wither. So this morning, would you set your eyes on Jesus, who is the author of faith, the finisher of faith, and the redeemer of humanity? That's what he wants to do for you. So where does it start? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the only way to salvation. If you have not yet trusted Christ to be your Savior and you have not done that, I invite you today, don't leave. For the person who has accepted Christ as their Savior and your life is off track, you're not walking the line, then I want to tell you that it is a confession and a repentance, a conviction, a confession and a repentance away from being healed. Jesus says, come to me. Sometimes that's a private confession. Father, forgive me for what I've done. Sometimes it's a public confession. Father, forgive me and I need to let these people know. And then sometimes it's a one-on-one confession. You know what? This is what I did. This is what I said. This is how I hurt you. But I know that I know that I know the way of God, the way of the cross, not the way of Cain, but the way of the cross leads home.